Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. It's good to be together this morning, and uh, I want to begin as we get into our message time with a prayer. So uh, would you bow your heads with me right now? God, we, uh, we come before you and we bow before you uh, as the great God who is above all gods. You have created all things, and you've given us every good gift that is under heaven. And for that, we give thanks. We come before you. And that's part of why we have given back to you already this morning with our praise and with our words, but also financially giving of our blessings back to you. We give thanks that you have provided for another week and we anticipate a week ahead where we will need your providence and your provision as well. God, this morning, as we come to your word, as we come to this table in just a few moments, my prayer is that you would meet us here. You've been meeting people at tables for generations. You've been bringing people and drawing people to you and to reconciliation with you. And this morning, we need to be restored. We need to be reconciled. For so many of us feel distant. So many of us have allowed uh, different sins and struggles to stand in the way of our relationship with you. And God, sometimes we need a return. We need a call to know that you are always welcoming us back home, that you're the father who runs toward us when we make a turn toward you. So God, this morning in the midst of wherever we find ourselves walking into this room, my prayer is that you would meet us here with that smile that you always meet us with and that your love would be obvious as well this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. It's just bread and wine. Or in our case, cracker and grape juice. Simple elements. You don't have to be wealthy to purchase bread and juice. It's not likely the meal you choose to share on your anniversary. And in a similar way, what we have in this baptistry is just water. I know we put a wall up, so it's a little bit mysterious what's behind there, but it's just water, I guarantee you. Sometimes it's warmed up just nice, and other times it's a little colder to test the you know, certainty of the person entering into the waters of baptism. But if you read through the Gospels, what you'll find is this is how God seems to work. God takes these simple elements and he does something and meets us there in the midst of those elements. Five loaves and two fish, bread and wine, mud, saliva, mustard seeds. With God, these simple things become opportunities for the human to meet with the divine. 
In Genesis chapter 18, there's a story about a guy named Abram and his wife, Sarai, and and they've left home. They've followed God's advice to leave the country and land that they knew. And they come upon, or actually the other way around, these guests, unexpected guests come upon them. And their commitment to hospitality leads them to say, let's gather around this table. Let's share a meal together. But what Abram doesn't know is, that, is, is what he will soon discover. And that is that he's hosting the Lord at this table. All he sees is three men when they walk up. But the Bible lets us know that there's more going on at that table. The Lord is present. Human and divine encountering together around a table. As I read and prepared for this sermon, for this series, I was in awe of the number of stories I read about where people unexpectedly met God around tables. Kind of like that experience that Abram first had. The first story I want to share with you today comes from a book written by a guy named Mike McArgue, or as he is referred to on his podcast, Science Mike is what he goes by on the internet. At age seven... Mike gave his life to Jesus, and he thought that everything in his world was perfect at that moment. But it wasn't a year later, at eight years old, that Mike started, started experiencing quite a bit of bullying at school. Chapter one of his book starts with these words. I was a fat kid, and he felt alone, and his commitment to Jesus wasn't really helping all of that. But eventually in high school, he grew a little taller. He learned to play the bass guitar and... and kind of started to find his way into a bit of social status. He ended up marrying a, a girl named Jenny who ensured that he stayed on the straight and narrow in his days. He taught Sunday school, played in the church band. He was ordained as a church deacon at the age of 25. He, along came a daughter named Madison and a few years later, another daughter named Macy. Everything seemed great, but his cerebral mind and his love for science began to reveal cracks in his belief system. One day, a friend passed along a book by a guy named Richard Dawkins. Some of you may have heard his name. It's called The God Delusion. Dawkins is an atheist who argues that religion isn't just wrong, it's actually dangerous. And the cracks began to grow more and more in Mike's faith. Now, he was still teaching Sunday school, but eventually he grew to the place where he became an atheist. It was destroying his family, and every Sunday seemed like another charade that he played, teaching class, but struggling internally with what he really believed. But in 2012, he attended a two-day conference, a conference I attended a year after him, I'll tell you more about that later, where he encountered the God he had lost faith in, and it happened in the most unexpected way. Now, at this point, Mike wasn't even praying anymore. He wasn't sure he should take part in this experience because of his lack of belief, but he decided to do it. And when he arrived at the front uh, at this time, at this table, this conference ended with uh, the host, uh, the leader of this conference, placing bread and wine at a table. That was the invitation to all of the conference attendees. And the host of that conference held out a piece of bread as Mike went up to that table and, and he said to him, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And in his book, this is how Mike describes what happens next. Host said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Those words threw me into an existential vortex. What? The body of Christ? Jesus wasn't a real person. How could his body be broken? Even if Jesus was a real person and really was crucified, how could he know who I was? 
We were separated by millennia, language and progress, unfathomable to a first century rabbi who was convicted of treason. His body couldn't have been broken for me. That would be impossible. And what would it help? Are we saying God sent himself in the form of his own son and then died to protect me from himself? The punishment he himself was going to give me for not believing in him? That didn't make any sense. The problem was that I couldn't take the bread without taking the metaphor. And that felt dishonest. I didn't believe the body of Christ was broken for me because I didn't believe that there was a body to break. I decided to walk away. But just when I was about to turn, I heard a voice say, I was here when you were eight, and I'm here now. I froze, startled, and amazed. I thought about hiding from bullies and talking to Jesus. I thought about growing taller and stronger and asking Jesus to forgive me for the sins I also much enjoyed. I thought about my wife the first time I saw her in a wedding dress and my oldest daughter as she went under the water at her baptism. I thought of the effortless charm my youngest daughter displays when she has the whole family laughing at the dinner table. I thought about all the awful things I'd done even when I knew better and yet how full of laughter and love my life was despite that. I thought about my best friend, a Jewish rabbi whom I'd never met in person but talked to more than anyone else. So I reached out and took the bread from his hand and the host said, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And I dipped the bread into the wine and I ate it. I took the bread and the metaphor and I ran from the room full my face full of tears. Now, this is the part I should explain, the science of how a sane person can hear an audible voice in a room when no one has spoken. Believe me, I spent a long time researching it, and I would love to explain it. I can't. The closest thing I can find in the sciences are hallucinations. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe I had so much long longing and pent-up emotion that I fell into a semi-hypnotic state in a very suggestive environment. The bread, the wine, and the prayer. There's a reason the Eucharist is a sacrament. This table has spoken to people confused about God for thousands of years before I picked up the God delusion. Even though it's my life's mission to help reconcile God and the sciences, that process breaks down at this point in my story. I can't explain what happened in that moment, which is unfortunate because hearing Jesus speak to me was nothing compared to what happened next. Late night bled into early morning, but I was too wound up to sleep. There was too much cognitive dissonance in my thoughts, too much unfinished business with God for me to call it a night. So I walked down the steps at the back of the hotel to the beach. It was between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., dark and still. I looked at the ocean, but it was so black. I couldn't tell where the water ended and where the sky began. A powerful force that I could hear and feel, but not see. As metaphors for God go, that was pretty good. So I faced the waves and started to pray. I said something like this, God, I don't know who or what you are. I don't know anything about you. I don't know what your relationship to the Bible is. I can't unlearn all the things that made me believe you aren't real. They're still there and they tell me you can't exist. If you're real, if you have consciousness, will and power, tell me, how can I be here? Why did you bring me to California to learn about you from a famous preacher while right now children are starving to death all over the world? Why answer my mom's prayer when another mother's prayer that her child be spared from warlords goes unanswered? God, that doesn't seem like love. That seems like evil. How can you just watch and do nothing? People are hurting and dying down here. Look, I can't promise to accept the Bible now. Can't say I'll swear to keep its commandments. Some of them are archaic and brutal. 
Some of them are absurd anachronisms. But I do like talking to you again. I feel like you're near me again, and I miss that, God. I don't want to be away from you anymore. So let's make a deal. I'll try to do the best I can to do good in this world. I'll serve others and I'll work against suffering. But I have to keep asking these questions about your justice and mercy. And I can't forget about science. Let's just keep talking about this. You and I, I don't ever want to be away from you again. I can't do that anymore. All I know is I met Jesus tonight. And when I heard the word, said the word, Jesus, the waves rushed toward me. I was standing high up on the beach, 25 feet or more above the water of the waves, but the water still rushed up and over my feet all the way up to my shins. Thought about what that host had said, that Christ's last act of service before his crucifixion was to wash the feet of his followers. I said, is that you, God? Is this really happening? And the whole world fell away like the veil lifted from the face of a bride on her wedding day. It's just bread and wine. And yet sometimes all it takes is some bread and wine to encounter the divine. And then there's the story of Jean Valjean. (laughs) My favorite story in the entire world. I take that back. I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to say some story from the Bible is that, but this one must have been left out somewhere because it tells the story of grace so well. Jean Valjean is the character dreamed up by Victor Hugo in his novel Les Miserables. And if you're familiar with the story, the main character, Jean Valjean, is this criminal. Now, he's not a criminal from bad intent, though, right? He's stolen a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving child. He gets five years for that. And he tries to escape from prison. It turns into a 19-year-long prison sentence. And after 19 years, he's released on parole, but he's shunned everywhere he goes because he has to take this yellow ticket of leave showing that he's an ex-convict and he can't find a place to stay. He can't find a place to rest. But one night, as he's out on the streets trying to find a place to call home for the night, there's a bishop who is in town that invites him into his home, feeds him a meal, and he's famished and gives him a place to lay his head. Well, in the middle of the night, Valjean goes on the run, steals the silver that was at the table. There were two candlesticks there. He left those, unfortunately, but all the rest of the silver he found his way out with. And uh, as he's captured by police, rather than turn himself in, he tells them the bishop's actually given these things as a gift. And so the police bring him to the bishop. And if you know the story, you remember that the bishop actually lies on his behalf, gives him a second chance. Yes, I gave him all this, but he forgot these two candlesticks. Would you make sure he gets those as well? And in this moment, Valjean has changed by this gift by the bishop who buys his soul for God in this moment. And he goes from being a criminal to being an upstanding man who shows grace to so many others throughout the rest of his life. And at the end of his life, it's remarkable how the story ends because those two candlesticks that could have been prison time forever once again are sitting there giving light to his face as he takes his last breath in the book. It was just a simple meal around a table with bread and wine. But sometimes that's all it takes to encounter the divine. I have a critique I I wish to offer this morning about the modern church. I believe we've settled for far too little Far less than our deepest longings about what we really gather wanting on mornings like this. Now, we come to church for all kinds of reasons. 
But we've sometimes come and we've settled for gathering together to check a few things off of our lists and to see our friends. But what I would suggest is what all of us come here longing for is something so much more than that. And sometimes we've longed for so long that we just stop longing for it. We stop believing that maybe God might show up in the process. I've done this. I've, I've settled so often in my experience on Sunday morning for gathering together to hear stories of other people's mystical encounters with God. Stories that happened 2,000, 4,000, maybe 6,000 years ago. These people had encounters with God. And so we open this book and we remind ourselves where God used to show up and, and, and we think that's good enough. But what we long for is not just to read these stories, but to experience the same thing in our own day, don't we? Have we lost even that? The expectation that God just might show up and change everything in our midst? Deep down, this is what I believe is that all of us want an encounter, a mystical encounter, an encounter that we can't quite put into language, an encounter that we wouldn't even know how to write it out in, in the pages like this to say that God has showed up in our midst and we're forever changed by that encounter. The goal is not to know more about God. The, God, the goal is to come to know God. But it's easy to settle, isn't it? And we're not the first to lose hope for an encounter with the divine. In fact, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open to a particular chapter. It's in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Now, we preached through the Gospel of Luke from uh, Christmas time last year all the way through Easter. And uh, I had a sermon I wanted to preach on Luke 24, and I had to leave it out for scheduling purposes, but now I get to come back to it, which is good news. Luke 24. This happens after the resurrection. And if you know anything about Luke 24, maybe you're just looking at the heading in the middle of that section. Jesus is risen in this story. And there's these two disciples who are on the road and they're walking to a city called Emmaus. There's a good chance they're from Emmaus originally and maybe they've given up hope along the way. In fact, that's what it seems to be. They're walking trying to figure out what's happened because Jesus died on the cross and they've heard reports from some women about how they couldn't find the body and then all of a sudden, as they're walking along on the road to Emmaus, they're, they're met by this stranger who shows up on the road. And the stranger starts walking with them, and, and they don't know who it is. It's actually Jesus is who it is. But, but somehow they can't tell it's Jesus. It says Jesus is walking along with them, and he says to them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, have you not been in Jerusalem over the past week? Have you not heard the things that have happened? And Jesus says, what things? Apparently, it's not sinful to play dumb if you have a reason for it. And they respond, well, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. And, and, and our chief priests and rulers, they crucified him. And we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That was our hope. We'd seen the miracles he'd done. We'd seen all this. Some of the women couldn't find his body. They said something about Jesus being alive. So Jesus opens the Bible with them. Not exactly the Bible as we have it, but he opens the scripture to them. And he talks through the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, as we call it today, all these stories and tries to point out to them where Jesus may have been in those pages. They still have no idea they're encountering the divine. But they invite this stranger into their house 
And they gather around, guess what, a, a table. And then things change. And guess what's for dinner? Bread is for dinner. This story is fascinating for so many reasons, but I absolutely love the way Luke tells the story in Luke 24, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Or pay attention to those words of the first verse in verse 30. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. It's the same phrase that's actually mentioned earlier in the gospel when the feeding of the 5,000 happened. Same phrase, phrasing that shows up at the Last Supper when Jesus breaks the bread. It's funny, Jesus has this, I'm sure, incredible message, this incredible Bible study with them. But the miracle of their recognizing Jesus doesn't happen around the stories that are told about the past. It doesn't happen around a Bible study. Their eyes are opened around the table when the bread is broken. The miracle of this story happens around a table. It's just a piece of bread. And yet sometimes all it takes is bread to encounter the divine. In the fall of 2013, I was at a low point in my ministry. I was serving at a church in Denver, a church that was embattled in conflict at the time. At one point in the midst of that church struggle, Holly encouraged me to find a counselor to sort through the funk I was in. Some of you know the feeling, despair. I lost hope that tomorrow could somehow be better than the present moment. Pessimism. I could see much more clearly what could go wrong rather than what might go right. My food didn't taste as good as it normally did. And every encouragement that I received sounded like someone was lying to me. That fall, I went to a two-day conference with one of my spiritual heroes. It was a great conference. I, I learned a lot. But the information on its own wouldn't have changed me. I've gone to conferences with lots of great information before. What changed me was happened, what happened at the end of that conference. After spending two days with a random assortment of about 100 individuals, some pastors, some business leaders, two things were placed on a table, bread and, and wine. And the leader, uh, uh, that spiritual hero of mine, the host of that conference, said this at the end of that conference. This bread and wine is ordinary matter. It's made of protons, neutrons, and electrons. There's nothing special about it. It was simple matter. But when we celebrate Eucharist, when we take ordinary matter and we bless it, we make it holy and sacred, and we set it apart for a special purpose. And then he paused and he looked around at every face in the room. He said, like the bread and the wine... We're all made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. The Eucharist reminds us that we too can be set aside. We too can be made holy and sacred. We are set aside for a special purpose. And like Jesus, we're to be broken and we're to be poured out on, on behalf of others for their healing. 
Now, there were many different people at that conference, mainline pastors, business leaders, teachers, entrepreneurs. Some of us believed, but there were a few people in the room that didn't believe in God at all. But he invited every one of us to the table that day. Before I got a chance to go up, I noticed one participant in that conference who clearly said that he was an atheist. Then I watched him walk up to the table. And I watched him receive these simple elements, elements he'd eaten before. When he got to the table, the host said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Church, it was just bread and wine. But God was in that room encountering a man who didn't even claim to believe in God. And I saw the tears flow from his face. And I knew something remarkable had happened. And then it was my turn. I'd done this a thousand times before. Taken bread, taken juice. I'd served bread. I'd served juice. And so I went forward to the table. My mentor said the same exact words he'd said to everyone else in that room before me. In that season of difficulty and struggle, I received a blessing I cannot put into words. It was the most moving experience I've ever had at a table. And on that Tuesday evening in the fall of 2013, I encountered God and I encountered God's presence in a way I didn't even know I needed that night. In a way that lifted a bit of the fog of that season. And allowed me to find the divine all over again. It was just bread and wine. But sometimes all it takes is bread and wine to encounter the divine. And that's what we all long for. It's what I needed in the fall of 2013. And my guess is this morning that some of us need such an encounter. An encounter a little different than all the other mornings that we seem to share in this. Because a lot of you have taken this hundreds of times. Thousands of times. Jesus is our host at this table. And in one way, all that we're doing is we're gathering to eat what others prepared and cracked crackers to put in trays like they've done many times before without us sometimes realizing it or knowing it or being grateful for it. It's just the same act. It's just crackers and and juice, right? Something you might share with your toddler who's getting along to make sure they don't feel quite as fussy. But there's more going on here. Because we're participating in a meal where God has showed up and encountered his people. And sometimes those who don't even know they're his people yet. Time and time again. This table turns hardened criminals into redeemed people of deep faith. This table turns enemies into brothers and sisters. This table turns atheists into believers. This table turns cold believers into committed disciples. What we're about to do this morning is more than you can taste. It's more than you can see. 
It's more than you can feel. It's more than you can smell. And it's more than you can hear. It's more than your five senses can take in because God is here. Amen. So like Sarah said, we've got a table and we're inviting the whole world to this table. Today we witness the body broken and the blood poured out. We're setting a table for the whole world. That's what we're doing here. Reminding ourselves of the story of the one who gave his life for us, but who didn't die in that moment, who was alive to encounter us here at this table. As I was thinking through this message this week, I thought about people who were in the same place I was in, maybe in the fall of 2013, in despair, at the end of their road. I thought of people like Sarah Miles, who had never been a believer before, but might have just wandered in, not quite sure what she was doing that morning. And I wondered if maybe Sarah was here this morning. I thought about Jean Valjean, about this criminal that was trying to find a new start. Maybe thought that they would sneak in here and be able to sneak out unchanged. And I thought maybe Christ would meet them here. I thought about Mike, Science Mike. I thought about those that maybe are going through the rituals, maybe even people who are teaching Bible classes and leading small groups who aren't sure they believe anymore in any of this. And the prayer I prayed that I want to pray again for us right now is that God would encounter us and remind us of the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the entry into the Father. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.